This is good beer, by the way. It is a nice beer. It's an easy drink. Like, I don't even know what a country ale is. It just sounds mm. like it's a... I don't... I didn't think I like it. liked ale. So there's this country ale that mm-hmm. you give me and the one that Brian brought to the last game. It was nice. That was an easy drinker too. Uh, Spotted Cow. Yeah. Oh my God. And it's an ale and it went down super easy. So maybe I'm... Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should be not looking for lagers but looking for ale. I don't even know what the main difference is in the two. I don't know. I don't know either. Maybe we could do a show on that because yeah. ale is always on... Old school tavern menus. This is true. You never see lager. You never see lager. So, is there a technological change where loggers look at the, look at us talking about like beer theory, craft beer? Jeez, who are these guys? I don't even know these guys, and I don't think I love them. I'll tell you one thing: they're fucking handsome. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Why? <laughs> old men rolling dice. Everyone is welcome at our table. Nostalgia is what we do. Good afternoon. This is Jason from Oldman Rolling Dice. We're here today with our first episode of the World Builder Survival Guide. Um... The concept behind this podcast is a really simple one. It's sort of an introductory guide to uh, how to how to homebrew or build your own world. And it's uh, based on the premise that we see a lot of people that are newer players right now. And they're getting in in the fifth edition and they're buying their starter box and they're playing and they're very excited. And then maybe they run another campaign. And I think inevitably when you're a game master or a dungeon master, there reaches a point where you suddenly want to tell your own story. There's everybody's doing this. There's stuff swirling around your head. You want to put it on paper and you want to share it with everybody. And, uh, it can seem like a huge daunting task when you look at how complex and how complete some of the, uh, campaigns are out there. So I just want to like maybe sit down with a game master who's built a couple of worlds and have him walk us through the process and, and sort of take some of the mystique out. Look behind the curtains. I might know that guy. I totally know the guy. Know so that my guy. guest is, DM Jeremy. And listen, these World Builder Survival Guides, we're not bringing in guests on this, right? This is just going to be you and me. Just you and me. And beer. And I'm not going to, I don't want to point fingers, but I think you said inter, interdictory. Oh, did <laughs> I? Interdictory. Anyways, in- I'm, introductory. Leaving, I'm leaving it in because I love it. <laughs> so what do you want to know? Okay. So you've, you've homebrewed a <laughs> what couple. What do you want to know? You've homebrewed a couple of worlds. A couple. <laughs> and you've got one specifically that you're running sort of right now. This yes. is sort of your current, your current. Uh, baby, your current pet project. Yes, and it's called Acheon. Let's uh, let's talk to let's try and walk through the the first couple of steps when it comes to building your own world, and use and use some examples directly from Acheon. Okay, so if you're a DM and and you're like, I want to make my own world, I think step one is why why make your own? Because there's a lot of really good worlds out there designed. Forgotten Realms is decent, and if you don't want to use the whole realms, just pick a piece. And you can find lots of background. There's so much lore and history there. Uh, there's Kryn, Dragonlance, personal favorite. Uh, there's you know there's Dark Sun, there's Spelljammer. It goes on and on and on. I know that it's exciting to build your own world, and that can be very fun. But you don't have to put all the work into it if it's already sort of created. You could take, you know, you can steal, for example, a pantheon of gods from somewhere. You could uh, steal a map from another campaign world. But if what you have in mind doesn't fit into any of those, then yeah, it's maybe time to sit down and start designing your own world. The other thing is, lore can be incredibly intimidating. 
do you know what I mean by that? Like if, if you have, um, if you want to run a game in the forgotten realms, you know, you don't want to step on Ed Greenwood's feet and you start reading and reading and reading. And like, it goes right to the horizon, the amount of lore that's out there. And there's obviously no way you can take it all in. I can tell you right now, the reason that I've only run very, that I've run very few Star Wars games is because I'm always afraid there's going to be a player at the table that knows more lore about Star Wars than me. And then at which point am I still the dungeon master? Am I still the guy that knows everything that's going on behind the scenes? Am I doing the setting justice? So I think that falls into a lot of people's mind as they start to homebrew this. Like they can homebrew their own world where the lore is all theirs and nobody can challenge them on it. There's a great deal of freedom in that. Just but, but but before you start putting pencil to paper, just make sure that it's not already out there and you're creating more work for yourself. If creating the work for yourself is enjoyable, absolutely do it. You know, like some people just like to to create, to storytell, to homebrew. It's true, but I mean, there's always an option to sort of reskin, rename, or reimagine something that's already out there. Mm-hmm. And and there's other people that have put a massive amount of time into it and have literally changing a couple of city names and, and adding a river and a new race of trolls. It gets you where you need to go. Maybe you don't need to do all exactly. the legwork. Exactly. Uh, let let someone else do the heavy lifting for you. And if you're one of these DMs that you know has a full time job and a family, then maybe that's the better option for you. But let's let, let's say you're you're that's not the option you want to choose. You want to homebrew your own. And I and I always like homebrewing my own. And it's usually because I don't want to break lore of another world. I think that's actually a really good point. That's actually not to be taken negatively. That's almost a sign of respect. Like you respect that piece of work so much that you don't want to do it in injustice. And I guess my only asterisk to that is you can totally break someone else's lore for their world. If you want to run in critical roles campaign world, because there's lots of books out about it now. If you want to go in there, bust it up and make it your own. You want to go into the Forgotten Realms, bust it up and make it your own. Nobody should be calling you out on that. But I know as a TM, for whatever reason, I don't like that. <laughs> like I, le- I like paying the setting it's due. I think for a lot of people who first get into sort of building their own world or homebrewing, that's probably where they start though. As they, as they take an established product and you start sort of changing the edges and molding it to, your, to fit your own table. Sure. Yeah, because I think it's a less daunting task. So where did Acheon come from? So Acheon came from the fact that I wanted a world that involved science fantasy. I wanted some science fiction in my fantasy world. And I didn't want Spelljammer. A lot of people confuse Spelljammer as science fantasy. I don't think Spelljammer is science fantasy. Magic is still doing all the work over there. Whereas I wanted a world in Acheon. Magic was still prevalent, but but there was a science fiction angle on what was going on. So I also wanted something apocalyptic for Acheon. I did not want it. I did not want a world where magic was, you know, I have a magic broom for sale to sweep your house out with, sir. Would you like it? Like, I didn't want stuff like that. I wanted a world that was crumbling. I wanted a world that was struggling. I wanted a world that was needing of heroes. Everything had kind of gone to crap, and they were looking for someone to lift them out of that. I, th- I thought about, you know, what what is the apocalyptic event of the world? And I didn't want, like, zombie apocalypse or anything like that. I actually looked to Dark Sun, an old D&D setting, and in Dark Sun everything is everything is turning to desert. The the sun is just cooking the planet. And I thought, okay, I can work with that. So then I started literally reading about suns and I came across the dwarf star. So I might be a little off here, 
But essentially, my understanding of a son's life is that at some point, your son goes nova, supernovas, into a giant red. Our son has not done that yet, uh, fortunately. So, And when it goes supernova into a giant red, it gets really big and really hot and burns off. Well, it would, it would kill our solar system when it did that. And then once it's done burning like that, it starts to collapse on itself and it gets more dense and more dense and more dense. And it, I think it even gets hotter and hotter and hotter, but it, but it's no longer big and red. It goes down to what they call a white dwarf. And again, I'm painting with really broad, like, we're not going to hold you to the science. I, I, we'll, we'll just get the skeleton. Yeah. yeah. So Achaeon is a world that now has this dwarf star at its center. So I thought about like what happens during that. So I already had this idea for these bad wizards called the five and the five. I've been toying around with the idea of the five for a very long time, but they became my big bad guys. And we can maybe talk about that on another episode, making big bad guys. But basically they cause the sun to go supernova. They drain all the power off the sun for themselves. They ascend to some sort of godhood and all that Aegean is left with now is this, dwarf star so that was my sort of idea for Achaeon that would make it different from others that during daytime it wouldn't be that bright because you only have this little white star in the sky uh the world has gone to crap because you know lunar tides and gravitational pulls and all that are changing from the changes in the sun so the world is sort of destroyed and there's not much left there's a couple of things I like about this. And I think that uh, the sci fantasy element is, and it isn't new. It's actually a really great nod back to some very early adventures mm-hmm. in the uh, genesis of Dungeons and Dragons, things like Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. This idea that these two uh, forms overlap, right? You could still have science and fantasy at the same time. And I like the idea when you get into an apocalyptic theme in that it, maybe it doesn't seem absolutely imminent, but there's like the clock is running. There's yeah, that was another thing. That's a good point because in Aikion, like things aren't dead yet. You haven't hit plants are dying because they're not getting the light they should anymore. Temperatures are rising on the planet because the white dwarf gives off more radiation than a regular sun. So everything is starting. You know, things are collapsing. The world is going badly, and the five these massive, powerful wizards have left the world, and the protections that they have are actually starting to degrade on the planet as well. So the world is going bad. So that was my idea for Achaeon. No, and Achaeon, it automatically generates a story or a quest. Like, we can't just not do anything or we simply are going to perish. We have to adventure. We have to be heroic. We have to set forth and try and save ourselves or find a solution because the clock is ticking. This world will eventually end. Yeah. and Potpourri, a Dungeons and Dragons variety show podcast where two gal pals, Keisha and Kayla, talk about a variety of topics, including discussions. Wizards of the Coast has tried recently to change the mechanics, but I think the biggest thing they did was release Tasha's Cult of Everything. Right. That like really changed the way that people could make their characters. Life plays. We caught the tracker trying to kill Claude. He already killed some of the household guards. Uh, We did everything we could to try and save him, but uh, the tracker unfortunately got got to him before we could, but we took care of the tracker. So. Oh, he's gone. He's gone by Joseph. (laughs) Over. Interviews. I'm not going to fool you. If you're not having fun with your character after a while, I'm not going to make you play your character. But you have to figure out why is your current character leaving and why is this new character joining. Potions and potpourri.
Find us wherever you get your podcasts. So, so, and that sort of leads us into what we wanted to talk about next is that uh, when you're creating your own campaign world, start very small. Don't, don't, like I've painted very large strokes. The world is dying and, you know, but I didn't, like I, at that point I had not sketched out continents. I had not sketched out countries. I had not thought about anything really as far as mechanically how the game works just what if this situation what if your world was placed in this situation and then i thought i'm gonna you know i always think of what what sort of the first adventure for the character is going to be where 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 are they going to start and always start small uh i know some people like to start big and work backwards but i'm going to tell you something every time i see someone starting big and working backwards they never get to the small stuff Whereas if you start with the small stuff and work from there, you're good. And you can always add more. Like if you've got the small stuff down, you can just keep adding and adding and adding. Draw a small, a small circle and go, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out everything inside that circle on the map. And then if that game goes well, make the circle bigger. What, what's outside that now? And then bigger and bigger and bigger until you've got your, you'll, you'll soon have the world fleshed out. I, I think, think so. It doesn't take long. I think uh was it somebody used the phrase uh, tavern town trail you start in the room you oh, go like outside that. and then you're on the road i haven't heard that exact analogy yeah. but i like that uh, you know what if, and if nobody said it then i'm totally taking credit for it. Uh, you know what we're gonna we're gonna quote that Ta- what is it tavern town trail yeah 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 now i went a little bigger than that when i was designing Aki on my first adventure uh i decided that for the first adventure i was going to have the elves of asari and these and i just made up that like i'm like i need a name for the elves and i need it to sound I was like elves sounding kind of hoity-toity. So I was like, Asari. Asari sounds like very fancy. So I was like, okay, so I need, I need Asari, this, this kingdom of elves. Word is going to spread across the world of Acheon that the Asari elves have figured out a way off. This is my plot hook. Was it Tolkien-y? Kind of like the elves sailing to the west. Yeah. So when you start my story out, uh, you're in the town of Gustwind. And you're going to travel from Gustwind over a set of mountains, through a swamp, to a forest where the elves are to find out if they know a way off. And that is where I started. I'm like, okay, so I need a little bit of information about Gustwind the town. Not much though, because they're not going to be staying there. This is just a starting point. Then I need to know about the mountains they're crossing. So I can do a couple mountain encounters and I can talk a little bit about what's in the mountains. The swamp on the other side. I can talk a little bit about that too. And then the Asari elves, which we've already kind of addressed that we know that they're moon elves. We know that they have a magical way to leave the world, but you know that, and that's sort of my starting point. And it's nice because it really hits a lot of sort of scene tropes, like adventures through the mountains and through a swap or something. I think you see reoccurring in a lot of fantasy stories. Yeah. And I just decided that my first adventure was going to be a journey and there was going to be dungeons and encounters along the way, but I, I'm still like, I'm not talking about countries or anything like, right. It's just very focused. The town of Gustwin to the Elven woods of Asari. And I think I named the Elven capital, uh, Pearl gate, which I totally was like the pearly gates. Like if you can get to the pearly gates, you can escape this world. So I called it Pearl gate and Gustwin. I was like, I think I called the mountains, the Gustwin mountains or Gustwin pass. They have to work through Gustwin pass. So I just called the town Gustwin. So when the characters make characters for the game, they know that the world is going to crap and they know that the elves might have an answer. 
So I just tell them, you know, you make any kind of character you want. Know that that character has traveled a very long way to reach Gustwind because they have heard of this way off the world. And so you're adventurous through the last leg of that journey. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not getting into all the details. And then I throw them right into some interesting encounters right away in the mountains. I'm not designing like, I don't need to know what the forests in the south are like or the deserts in the south. Just, you don't. Really just, need to know currency standards or pantheons or heart, like you can keep all that relatively lightly sketched at this point. In time. Yeah. And I mean, pantheons is something that people get hung up on a lot, like what gods are in your world. So for Acheon, I just decided I wasn't going to create them. I just let my players create their gods. So come to the table, make a cleric. Oh, you're a cleric of the storm. What's your storm God's name or what's your storm goddess's name? Or it's not a god that you follow. Okay, it's just an ideology. So what? What? Tell me about that. But I let the player. I put the player in charge of that, which I think is great because players, especially nowadays, love to create and write this sort of stuff. Anyway, or a lot of players do. So why not let them shoulder some of the burden on this? And that would be my final bit of information. If you want your characters to be invested in this world you're building, let them build part of it. Nothing will make them more invested in that world if they have a piece of the authorship of that world. So if they've created the God of Thunder, they want they want to see the Church of the Thunder God do well then, right? If they've created a group of nomadic halflings, you know, and this is my point, because I haven't created the whole world, whatever the player brings to the table, I can find a place for. Oh, you're playing in Aarakocra? I, yeah. I, I hadn't even thought about Aarakocra, but you know what? We're, what? Tell me about what the homelands of the Aarakocra are from. Plus, I've asked everyone to travel to start in Gustwind. So they can be miles and miles away from home. Yeah. I don't have to find like the, my world map. I have sketched out sort of the shape of the continent, but I don't know what's inside it. So when they tell me, oh, well, I'm, the Aarakocra are from cliffs uh, along the sea, then I'm like, okay, well, guess what? Over on the West Coast now, I have to put cliffs around along the sea because my Aarakocra player needs a homeland. I don't come to the table with that because that's something I want the characters to give me. So, so, so that's sort of my three points. Make, make your world different. Don't reinvent the wheel. And if you are reinventing the wheel, there's nothing wrong with that. But don't go, like, just use a product that's already available. Uh, number two, keep it small. In my case, it was it, the first quest I decided was going to be a journey. So I needed a starting and an end point, And I needed a couple things along the way. I'm not writing books here. I'm writing like two or three lines about the forests of Asari. I'm writing two or three lines about the swamp that they're going through. I'm writing two or three lines about the mountains. And I'm writing two or three lines about the town they're starting in. And then finally, give your players a chance to contribute. So session set your session zero. Oh, you're playing a dwarf from these mountains, these lava mountains. They're fire dwarves. Oh, great. I'll, I can put those down on the map somewhere. Like, it, it all happens. They're creating it for me. And all of a sudden, everybody's invested because they've had a piece of that authorship. I think most of the best games you play in are the ones when the players are heavily invested. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, this is session one or possibly even zero of the world builder survival guide with DM Jeremy. And I hope that we provided you with some valuable insight into sort of where to begin in your adventures of building your own world. This is Jason from old men rolling dice. (laughs) 